0: Welcome to Hall Pass, the podcast. You might recognize this voice by now, but if not, I'm your host, Jamal Andrews. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been here before, let us know how you've been liking the topic so far. Are you learning something? Are you coming back? Are you gaining things from our history you've never heard before? That's the point, and we hope we can do that as well with this next topic. One that's very close to my heart, quite literally. Black folks and soul food. Just like Bonnie and Clyde, y'all know the two are inseparable. The centerpiece of any great black story, Aunt Shirley's mac and cheese, Uncle Leroy's fried chicken, Grandma's large Sunday dinner. It's always been a highlight for the black community, and here at Hall Pass, the podcast, we want to dig into the deeper history. Why is this the case? What makes that gumbo so special to our roots? With all of this in mind, we only need one guest for episode four adrian miller also known as the soul food scholar is joining us in the hallway to break it all down let's get it adrian what a title i went to soulfoodscholar.com and um they took me straight to your website and then i saw my second favorite thing which was dropping knowledge like hot biscuits which was like emblazoned on the website where did this come from how did we get here give me the breakdown
1: Okay, yeah. So the the road to Soul Food Scholar was accidental. So uh, I thought I was going to have a life in politics. Like if you had talked to me 20 years ago and talk, you know, hey, Adrian, I'm going to be talking to you in 2020. I said, yeah, I'll probably be the senator from Colorado. That was my journey. But um, I worked in the Clinton White House and uh, the job market was really slow as I was trying to get back to Colorado and start my political career. So I was watching a lot of daytime television. I'm not even going to tell you what shows. And in the depth of my depravity, I said, let me go to the, let me read something. So I went to a bookstore, got this book on the history of Southern food. And the author wrote that the tribute to black achievement in American cookery had yet to be written. So that launched me on this journey where I started just immersing and studying African-American food culture. So then I came up with Soul Food Scholar. And then, you know, I needed something catchy. So I thought about Snoop Dogg, drop it like it's hot. And I thought about hot bread, hot biscuit, And then that's how that all came together.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I I love the idea of sort of seeing a void and just filling it. You know, yeah, that, yeah. And and aside from that, getting out of politics is always, I assume, a pretty great thing for one's mental health.
1: Yes, yes. That and the I was a lawyer before that, so getting out of both of those uh, fields was uh, liberating. Let me just say that.
0: For the folks that are listening to this right now, I'm pretty sure they have a general idea of what soul food is and uh, what they should expect on their sort of Thanksgiving and soul Sunday plates. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanna go through a quick speed round, okay? So you got 30 seconds, I'm gonna run through these and this is just this or that. So I'm gonna name two things, you gotta pick one for me, okay?
1: Oh man, all right, pressure, go ahead.
0: All right, here we go. Fried chicken or fried pork chops? Fried chicken. Dressing with cornbread or white bread? Cornbread. (laughs) Not even close. All right. Mac and cheese or yams?
1: Ooh. Mac and cheese.
0: Greens or okra? Greens. All right. This is a personal one for me. Best barbecue, Austin, Texas or Kansas City? Kansas City. Ooh, wrong answer. Uh, (laughs) It's just—it's a
1: function of where I grew up, man. just a function of where I grew up. I
0: hear you. I hear you. I went to school in Missouri. I totally understand. Last one. Do you or do you not? eat everyone's potato salad? I do not. Who's on the designated list? Who's okay?
1: All right. Um, my Anybody in my immediate family because my, my my late mother taught us what was up. So that's usually good. Uh, but that's it, man. Otherwise, I got to look and see, maybe just like, have some field testing by other people and then see what's up. And then if I see some raisins, you know I'm out.
0: Mm-hmm. Good point. Great point. I, I want to say that you know, some of these things, I got a bit of an introduction to, but as a Texas person, my dad's side of the family is from Louisiana. So, you know, some of my favorite things growing up were shrimp etouffee, jambalaya, um, gumbo on Christmas. That's a big one for us, is having gumbo on Christmas. Um, nice. Considering, you know, soul food has this huge, vast history, and, and it encompasses so many things, can you just kind of give me an idea of where the name soul food derives from? Tell us where it comes from and sort of the significance of, of the soul part.
1: Yeah, so it's deeper than I thought when I started doing this research. So the actual er- earliest joining of the words soul and food goes back to Shakespeare. His very first play, there's two female characters talking about this sexy guy named Proteus, and he walks by and the one character says to another, Julia says to Lucetta, oh, knowest thou not that his looks are my soul's food? pity the death that I've pined in by longing for that food so long a time. So, you know, that's two girlfriends saying a guy's yummy back even in the 16th century. But uh, for the next 400 years, soul food actually existed in English. And so it it meant doing anything to edify your spiritual life, listening to a sermon, studying scripture, listening to hymns. Um, But then in the late forties, it takes a musical turn. So you have these black jazz artists who are just miffed because all of these white jazz artists are getting the publicity and making the money for this genre that they thought they created. So they decided to consciously take the sound to a place where they thought white musicians could not mimic it. And that was the sound of the black church in the rural South. So that gospel change jazz that emerges in the late 40s, early 50s, they started describing as soul and funky. So really it was soul music first, and then it got slapped onto other aspects of black culture. So soul music, soul brother, soul sister, then soul food.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, I, one of the things that I think is really important for this conversation is to draw a bit of a distinction, right? Because if you turn on, you know, some daytime television, you'll see someone like Paula Dean, for example, who is making a, a, a version of sort of what some would consider soulful, but from reading what you've put out there, I it, it seems there's this, this distinction between what one would consider soul food and what one, one would consider Southern food. It's not just having a bunch of butter kind
1: of makes the difference. Yeah, exactly. So I, I often tell people when I think of soul food, I think it's part of an umbrella of uh, kind of Southern cuisine, which was heavily influenced by Black cooks. So you've got soul food, you've got Creole, which you talked about earlier. You've got the g- Gullah cooking of the Low Country, all of these things. So people often ask me, well, what's the difference between Southern and soul? I say the short answer is that soul food tastes better. But if they want a deeper dive, I'm like, look, um, soul food, there is a lot of in common, but I think the distinction with soul food is the hallmarks of Black cooking. So seasoning, the way it's prepared, the use of certain ingredients to flavor, um blurring the lines between savory and sweet for instance sugar and cornbread you know a lot of white southerners will say if you put sugar in cornbread it's cake now almost every soul food cook recipe i've seen for cornbread has some sugar in it um you know but you see molasses and sugar showing up in like black eyed peas and greens recipes not a lot but some so i i think uh seasoning and all of these things come together make soul food somewhat distinctive but i think the bottom line which i argue my book and a lot of people hadn't heard this before is i argue that soul food is the cuisine of the black migrants who left the south for other parts of the united states and so soul food gets narrowed from southern food so instead of having a ton of greens to eat it all suddenly becomes just collard kale mustard turnip cabbage you know those greens that could survive the train ride or the truck ride out of the south to other parts of the country um, yeah. And then soul food really becomes the celebration food of the South. And that's the migrant story in the United States. Most of the immigrant food culture that we think of, when we think that's their everyday food, if you talk to them, they're like, no, that's really the special stuff that we had back home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I'm i interested in that in that point because um, when I think about the types of things that are made on the big holidays and everybody comes over and everything, uh, I'm always so interested in that there's no sheet of paper going around. There's no, there's no recipe, there's no cookbook, nothing like that. I'm wondering if it was the same way in your house. Cause in my house, I, I don't know. They just, if there was a question, you just sort of called grandma into the room and she kind of dropped some knowledge.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I would my mom was a great cook. So I try to find, you know, I'd ask her how to make some. She's like, Well, you know, I don't have recipes. And so, you know, I would just have to sit there and watch her and and document it. And then the other thing is, you know, there's some uh, relatives who will give you a recipe, but then they leave something out on purpose, which is what we call a lesser P, right? So, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to sit there and watch. And then it's really about more of an apprenticeship. Kind of knowledge. Now, that's a beautiful thing, a beautiful part of our culture. But the the dangerous part of it is if if you don't have a younger generation that wants to learn that stuff, there's a break and things get lost. And I think we have seen that happen in our culture. Um, But I think one of the cool things is that with all the renewed interest in cooking, there may be more young African Americans that are saying, "Oh, I want to know what Big Mama was doing, or you know, whoever the caregiver was." And so I hope we get that connection back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Really quick, where do you stand on putting something like the real Big Mama recipe into some sort of book and, and sort of
1: selling it? I'm all about it because I, I believe in Another and other authors have talked about talked about this. I believe even with the re- written recipe, you as a cook bring something special as an individual to that. So you know, you put your own spin on it, your own swerve, right? So um I'm all about putting those recipes down. because um, to me it's almost like language. Um you know, there are languages that are disappearing around the world because no one took the time to actually document that. And I think when we give, document something, we give it a sense of immortality.
0: Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So speaking of those recipes, you know, I wanna get into uh, a trend that has sort of hit the mainstream culture. And I, <laughs> I wanna read this quote in an article from you. Uh, For all you people who've discovered kale in the last five to 10 years, Welcome to the party. We've been eating it for three hundred plus. Um, break that down for me for those who, who who aren't familiar.
1: Yeah, so you know most people are not familiar with what soul food is, right? And so there's this image that soul food is unhealthy, and you know they just gravitate to like the fried chicken, the yams, the glorious desserts. Desserts, but I just say no. There's a very strong vegetable tradition that goes all the way back to West Africa, and part of that is greens. And so, um, you know, in West Africa, our ancestors were eating bitter leaf and other types of greens. Now they were moving from a tropical climate to a temperate climate, so they couldn't grow that stuff here. So what they what did they do? They started substituting the bitter greens of Europeans into their diet. So that's how collards and kale come in as a substitute. And uh, we saw the strongest expression of this in the Chesapeake Bay area in terms of kale, but then it's it's popped up in other places.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, there's a huge push right now for this type of food. You know, there are people, people I grew up with and like not, you know, the kind of folks that were generally into dieting or, or worrying about their health that are all of a sudden vegan. So I, I, I'm wondering, you know, a lot of people don't see that connection between uh, soul food and, and this new sort of wave in regards to vegan uh, vegan foods. But uh, according to you, this is something that is is very popular. And, and I know from personal experience, you've got places like Slutty Vegan in Atlanta, uh, Solely Vegan out in Oakland. Uh, you know, why do you see this as a homecoming rather than a departure from, from traditional soul food?
1: Yeah, so this was one of the biggest surprises of my research when I wrote my first book on the history of soul food. So when you actually go back and look at what enslaved people were eating Uh, in the South, it was very close to what we call vegan today. Typical day was uh, crumbled up uh, cornbread and buttermilk in a trough. And then the day meal, the big daytime meal, a midday meal was seasonal vegetables. There might be some meat in there to season the vegetable but it wasn't an entree like we think of the traditional meal now. And then supper was really the leftovers from that midday meal. And all they had to uh, drink was water. So uh, enslaved people didn't get access to the other things like sugar, wheat, uh, more dairy and animal products, except when the work period slowed, which was on weekends and on special occasions. So uh, this vegan vibe is very strong within our culture. And then as I ate my way through the country for the sake of research, um, you know, I discovered that a lot of restaurants around the country, even in the South, they've gone vegan in terms of their side dishes. Uh, you know, Starting in the 80s, there was more concern about getting healthier aspects of soul food in these restaurants. And so a lot of restaurants transitioned from pork to smoked turkey, but now I'm finding a lot of restaurants have even skipped the turkey now and they're just seasoning the vegetables. Now, I, I got to back up and say one thing. Uh, I, I won't say that seasoning is appearing everywhere in these soul food restaurants. I ate a lot of bland food, which just brought a tear to my eye, but for the most part, People who know that if you season well, uh, you don't even miss the meat. So this is this actually leads me to my next question.
0: This idea of making sure your food is seasoned, making sure you have the you know the ham hock in the green, so on and so forth, it has led to sort of a, uh, a stigmatization of Black folks' food. You know, the idea that the food that black folks eat is unhealthy, it's fried, you know, it's it's not something you can eat on a day-to-day basis. What do you say to that criticism?
1: Uh, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. So first of all, I'm just saying, why are y'all giving so much hate to soul food? And then you, you won't say anything about all these other aspects of the diet, fast food, convenient food. So I think that soul food gets scapegoated because, you know, between you and me and the audience, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are eating soul food uh, copious amounts of soul food day in and day out, OK? I think they're loading up on other stuff. And I think that's leading to the health o- outcomes. But then the other thing is you, we have to put soul food in context. It's really celebration food that has become more commonplace. And celebration food was not meant to be eaten on the regular. So if we just realize that we need to put soul food in context and then understand the healthy parts of soul food, because what are nutritionists telling us to eat? More dark leafy greens more sweet potatoes, okra is a superfood, hibiscus, you know, more fish. All of these things are part of our tradition. So I'm just saying, you know, just, just put it in its proper context and emphasize moderation and vary the diet. And I just don't think soul food should get so much hate, it should get more love. Do
0: you cut up in the kitchen? Is this is that is that your domain? Oh yeah, man, I got skills. Oh yeah. <laughs> in that case, in that case, what should we expect on the Miller plate, what's what's the what, what's the spread?
1: Okay, so it it, it varies, right? But for for uh, Christmas, uh, we have traditionally been a prime rib family. So gonna, gonna get a uh, this year because of all the stuff that's going on. Probably gonna get a smoked prime rib made by somebody, and then I'm gonna have some greens and uh, some cornbread and uh, maybe some mac and cheese on the plate or mashed potatoes, I'm not sure. So very, very simple meal. And then, you know, for New Year's, then it's gonna be the greens and black eyed peas. And I'm a mustard green and turnip green mix tradition. And I've been doing smoked turkey lately. And But when I make my black eyed peas, I always do um, uh, smoked ham hock or shank or some kind of smoked pork, unless I've got a, a guest with me who doesn't eat that way. And some corporate. And then I also, this is gonna, I know this is gonna, Maybe put you off, but I do eat chitlins on thanks on New Year's Day, Thanksgiving and New Year's. That's the only time I eat chitlins, and that's I've, I do. I've
0: got to ask. You know, I'm always curious. With when are we retiring chitlins? Is that is that going to happen? <laughs> it feels like it's it feels like it's it's my generation is is very skeptical on chitlins.
1: Yeah, well, so here's the thing. So now we've got all these white chefs who are discovering whole animal cooking. And so even if uh, it diminishes in the black community, I don't think it's ever gonna be re- fully retired. It'll be semi-retired at best, but uh, I think you're gonna have other communities starting to explore this stuff now. And now I come from a family that we do good chitlins, uh, cleaning and cooking. Our, our, my brother, his chitlins are so soft, man. I mean, I, I think most people would actually enjoy his chitlins and I've had chitlins all over the place. And I have to admit, they're not always cleaned that well or they're overcooked or rubbery, you know, there's all that kind of things. So I can understand why there's a lot uh, less love for chitlins. So semi-retirement at best, I don't think they're ever gonna hang the apron up in the rafters. It's never, it may get halfway up, but it's never gonna get all the way up there.
0: Well, I gotta tell you, Adrian, if um, if some of those hipsters wanna take chitlins off my plate, you tell them go right ahead. Uh, Adrian Miller, thank you, man. I really appreciate you coming and uh, joining us on Hall the Podcast.
1: Hey, man, thanks for the invitation. Good to be with you. Uh, stay healthy and safe, bro. we Will do.
0: Come on, guys, be brave. Walk right up to your grandmother, look her straight in the eye, and say we're done with chitlins in this family. You can do it. I know it's been a long, crazy 2020, but I hope you can still enjoy this holiday safely. Emphasis on the safe and the lead. Merry Christmas from all of us here at Hall Pass the Podcast. As always, we are on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Go like, subscribe, leave a review, no matter how good or bad. This is brought to you by BAPS Productions and Clash Productions. Go follow them both on Instagram for episode alerts. Until next time.